Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Elkanen and Dennis Dick. Got a lot of stuff to talk about on the show today. It was another bad weekend in terms of new cases, and we'll talk about the relationship that the new cases have to the overall market. Uh, Facebook in the crosshairs, a lot of companies and brands are leaving uh, Facebook and Instagram and choosing not to advertise there. We're going to talk about the uh, reaction to Facebook shares on that. We're going to recap briefly the action from the Russell rebalance on Friday. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Gilead pricing remdesivir. Uh, Nikola uh, truck pre-orders start today, so keep that on your radar. That could be a mover. And our guest is Steve Sears. He's a Barron's columnist. He would join the show at 835 I'll bring Joel on now. Joel, give us a quick week recap here on what happened in the overnight session on Sunday. Good good morning, Spencer. Good morning, traders and investors around the world here. We're up. We're up 14 and a quarter handles. We had a dip off that 6, PO, 6 p.m. open. Went to 83.50. Uh, for you, that's 29.83.50. For those of you looking for our May 29th low, no can do. That was 82 and a quarter. Nice bounce off that level. So that's going to be a huge support level if, in fact, we get back down there today. Not much on the upside, folks. The interday high for Friday was 30.62. So you're going to have to pick a number in between there unless you just think we're going to rally right back to the interday high from Friday. You have crude in the green here by 49 cents at 38.98. Gold knocking on the door of 1800 again. If you want a resistance level, there it is. Up 420 at 1784.50. Silver back over 17, or back over 18, not by much. 1.2 cents at 1818. Bitcoin slipping a bit here towards the lower end of that 9,000 to 10,000 trading range. Uh, Triple D got to talk to you on the weekend a little bit at the event, but uh, the Russell rebalancing, what a what a dud that turned out. Whimper. Yeah, it was a whimper. We had a few gaps at the close. We did have some volume. So if you look, you're like, wow, the media is telling all the volume from the Russell. But let's be honest, there wasn't a lot of big gappers. There wasn't a lot of big movers. Most of it paired off you know, fairly easily. You had a couple movers. Let's look at AMT, bring up the intraday of that one. You can see right at the close, got some heavy, heavy, heavy selling. Went from 252 at around 350, and the imbalance came out. It was to the south side. And then uh, the stock fell about seven points in the last few minutes. I did trade that one, uh, bought it on the close, and was able to sell it after hours. So I'm already out of it, so I can freely talk about it. Um, the other one I almost got was a small one. It was Red Lions Hotel. It was a delete. I was trying, you know, a couple hundred, like not even like probably three to four hundred stocks trying to get some moves, you know, playing the potential fades and just nothing materialized. So the, like, obviously I was able to get this one. I was also able to get or I was trying to get RLH because it had a big buy imbalance. And I was like, oh, if this wants to gap up and it was a delete, if it wants to gap up into the close, I'll sell it. My order was at 249. It ended up closing at 244. And the stock actually traded down to $2 after hours. I, I don't know if I would have been able to get out of it down there, but there was some stock trading down there. So it probably would have been a good one, but you see these wicked moves sometimes on the Russell. 
Um, that was two pretty solid moves, but that was pretty much it. There was a couple other smaller ones that moved as well. But overall, the Russell was very quiet this year. It's funny. Oh, I'm sorry, Spence, go ahead. Well, Dennis, you did talk about how Friday could be like a topping event for companies yes. that are like Datadog, right? Yeah. So if you pull up Datadog there, it did have a big red candle. Yeah. On a day, it got added to the index, so... Yeah, and I still think that might be, and if you look here at the rotation this morning, you're seeing this again. Obviously, some of these stocks are trading higher because the market's up here, but tech is relatively weak here today. Uh, the growth tech, which, you know, they were just buying these stocks hand over fist. We had a whole list of them we were talking about. DDOG was one of them that could have the potential turn. I also had on that list CrowdStrike, CRWD had a really ugly day. So that trade did materialize if you were selling it. I was hoping I'd get them on the close, but they kind of sold off all day. So they were ahead of it. Um, there was also uh, Zoom, which had a rough candle. It was at one time down about 10 bucks. It closed right. okay. Pinterest, which was obviously due to the Facebook concerns that that got hit. Um, you also had, I'm just going through the list, SEDG was another one. It got hit pretty hard. It was getting out to the wrestle. Fastly was bucking the trend. It was getting out of the wrestle, but just continued to go higher. Fastly and Workhorse both getting added in there. And both of those stocks just say, no, nah, we're not having any of it. We're just going up no matter what. If you look at get them, they're up here again this morning. These two stocks just, just keep going. The workhorse WKHS, I'm still in that small, I have a small position left of it that I just plan on holding on to. And it's unbelievable. The thing goes up 20% every day. I don't know when this, you know, when it ends, but at this point in time, I've sold so much stock out of it that I'm just got a little speck left in it. So I'm just going to ride it for a while until we get an ugly candle and then it looks like the tops in, but there's no reason to just call the top on this because the thing just keeps going higher. Right, and uh, it's funny, you've been talking about how you've been laying off that Russell for, for years now, and yeah. I think what you have it, I just, I mean, when you explained it to me, and I, I knew this about, you know, you figure it by the market cap, right, who's going in and who's going out, yeah. if you start tracking that, like here we are at the end of June, I mean, if you started tracking that at the beginning of the year, or even just a couple months ago, I mean, you're doing the math. I mean, something like, you know, you got to figure out where they're categorized, something like the Zoom. I did see the Zoom. It did make a new all-time high. So I'm going to keep an eye on this one to see if we can pierce through the, the pair highs, 60.29 and 61.62, traded down a little bit. So uh, all-time closing high, 59.51. That would be the good number for the week here in Zoom video. I'd just be careful on all these stocks because that is still a potential. So what I was talking about on Friday's show was th these could turn here today and the, the potential, you know, longer term tops could be in, in a lot of these stocks, Peloton as well. They, they made new highs, some of these stocks, but a lot of them actually had ugly days. So it could still be the turning point, obviously still to be determined. We'll look back in a month and say, was it or wasn't it? But the, the rotation here today um, and obviously this rotation has changed daily There's sometimes, but on. to this morning it's Facebook's fault. So let's say whose <laughs> fault it is. This is all on Facebook, but the NASDAQ's lagging big time here today. And that is because of Facebook, but big tech fang Apple's only trading up 0.4% markets up 0.8%. So you can see, you know, Microsoft only up 0.34% tech is seriously lagging here today. Boeing leading the charge. We got some news on that with the max. We can get to that in a second, but I do want to start with Facebook because it will be the story of the day. They're going to talk about it nonstop on CNBC. Got hammered on Friday with advertisers pulling pulling their ads. Again, over the weekend, we got Verizon, Pepsi, a number of others. Spencer, give us the details here. 
Yeah. What you know, just give us the fundamental details. Advertising boycott picking up steam here. Uh, I guess a lot of brands have decided in June of 2020 uh, <laughs> that oh my goodness, there was hate speech on Facebook. Did you guys know that? Because <laughs> I didn't know that prior to last week, but I know that now. Thank you very much to Verizon <laughs> and Starbucks and Ben and Jerry's uh, and Coca Cola. Uh, and Hershey's and Honda and Levi Strauss and Pat- oh, all these people pulled this weekend uh, over the last week or so. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, Unilever, Upwork. Um, now is the time if you're a brand and you want to, you guys said it on, on the pre pre-market show, but if you want to save money on advertising and you yeah. want to hop on, hop on the train and get some cheap goodwill. Now's the yes. time to do it. So. Uh, I think this is exactly what you're seeing. There is a, a lot of like, I mean, think, think about the environment you're in. Half the people are staying home and not really going out much. The business is down. This isn't the, 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 the time where you're going on full cylinders to advertise and your advertising dollars are turning into immediate cash. The advertising right now, some of it is getting wasted because obviously, you know, if you're at, if you're Pepsi, you're advertising your products. I mean, it's sold in stadiums, bars, it's sold a lot of different places. You know, obviously the grocery store is still selling the Pepsi, but we know, you know, sales on some of these, you know, especially, you know, the Molson Coors, you think about the advertisements there and they've been struggling because the bars are closed and the restaurants aren't selling pop as much right now. A lot of them, you know, aren't getting the the people that are coming in there, even if they reopen. There's so many places. So if you're Pepsi and you're like, well, right now the dollars just seem wasted anyways. Well, this is a good excuse to just pull some advertising and you're not blaming your own business. You're blaming Facebook. So Facebook, obviously the victim and social media is the victim here. And if you look Twitter, Pinterest, Snap all had ugly days on Friday. They're having ugly days here again today. But I think this is more of an excuse just to lighten up on the on the advertising for a bit. I think the advertisers will come back to Facebook. Um, so I don't think this is a permanent trend. And I do think the stock will be a buy at a certain point. And, and maybe that's 200. It's a huge level. It's coming up. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on Facebook, Joel? It's hard to catch the falling knife. Uh, I mean, there was a couple red candles, but that was a doozy. That was a doozy on Friday. And now you're just, you're just tacking on. So, you know, you talked about trying to put it back in long term. I don't have any interest in putting it in long term. You want to wait till it starts going down right now. I mean, you're trading just off the lows of the pre-market session, 206.30. So if you feel like you have to own this here at 209, you know, for, you know, a swing trade, and you don't want to miss out on that pre-market low of 206.23, you could take a look there. But I guess that's a three-buck bounce. That's not bad. Um, You're filling a gap that you had from earnings. Maybe underneath that, 204.12, that's another daily low. But, man, there's a lot of pressure on this. And I think that you're going to have more companies, like, doing this before, like, you have companies, oh, I'm coming back. Like, what are they coming back? Oh, yeah. What if they never plan to come back? Well, I, 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 I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they are going to come back to Facebook. Obviously, they have Instagram products. They have a lot of different products as well that they've got advertisers through. I don't think this is a permanent trend here. So that's okay. why I do believe the, buy, the stock will be a buy at one per point in time. It, it, it's got some value. I, I was mad that obviously upset because I sold my long-term stock when I saw COVID was still a major issue down at 181. And, and, and we know I had bought some of that stock multiple times. I bought some at the lows of 135 way back a year and a half ago. I didn't buy more in the recent COVID low. Um, but I had you know bought some before that as well. So I was anywhere in from like 135 to 160. And I was planning on holding that. I had some of it designated long-term. And then we just had 
all the, I had all these COVID concerns and I lightened up the portfolio and Facebook had a wicked rally. I thought it got a lot of, you know, those losses back and I lightened up. So it was a mistake. So I'm getting an opportunity here. We're 209. It's not 181. I don't think it's going to get down to 181. I would absolutely be a buyer if I got the 180 level. I just look at maybe I got to start jumping back into my long-term portfolio at 200. Again, this is a long-term investment, not a trade. Trades are hard on the falling knife. A bounce trade at 200, though, is a nice setup there, mm-hmm. too. I'm not sure you even get there. But like you said, Joel, they're not going to be ba- coming back anytime soon. And maybe we lose more. I mean, people who are buying the Friday dip oh. saying, oh, this is a good opportunity to get in Facebook. You know, now you get all these other advertisers boycott and they're regretting that move immediately. So maybe it's going to take a few days to get a lot of people getting up, you know, to, to, to get a lot of advertisers pulling their ads. And then maybe it calms down and that's when you buy. But at this point, you're just catching a falling knife. So maybe wait until the knife at least stops going down. The YouTube chat just posited a pretty good theory after the election, don't you think? Don't you think after the election? Long t- oh, I, I don't. That's so far away. I mean, as a long-term investor, yeah, trader. But, but they're going to come running back in in November. They, they probably will. I, I don't think this is a permanent trend. I don't think it's over. The story's over for Facebook here. And advertisers are all going to pull their ads. They're not going to come back. Right. They know Facebook does targeting ads very well. I mean, Google's a victim here, too. So, you know, Google, you know, got hit really hard on Friday as well. So you're seeing all, you know, online advertisement. Facebook, obviously, the catalyst here that started it all. But all of them got hit. I mean, Twitter's gotten ugly. Um, I own a small position in Twitter. I'm going to buy more Twitter if it gets down to 25. Um, I, I'm not sure it's going to get there again. It's 28, 35. So I don't know if it gets all the way down there. But I, I still think these are, these are, you know, if you're putting your long-term investing hat on, I don't think social media advertising is going away. I don't think it's the end of it. I don't think it's the end of the story. So um you know have your list ready and at a certain point in time this will be an op- a buying opportunity i believe all right uh sps is hanging out near the highs of the pre-market session we got we when we were doing the pre pre-market show we got a little burst and uh really took us up another six yeah. or seven handles i know you got picked off on a few things yeah, there but i don't know i'm not seeing the reason for the strength here i the only thing i could uh uh, theorizes that uh, you know that the big boys bought a lot of stock on the close. We closed. They bought the you know the futures overnight, and boom, they're just going to unload on the open, and then we could just uh, drift lower. But uh, nice pop, nice green. Considering we didn't even get to like the news of the weekend, and I know Dennis, you did some extra homework on this, yeah, I did. and uh, so let's uh, let let you and Spencer take this one away. Well, and if you just look at the S&Ps, I mean, predicting the day-to-day movement of this is, a, is, is very, very difficult. There's so many different headlines driving. Obviously, we know the cases is the catalyst to drive us down. But I was trying to take some of the noise out over the weekend. And I, this is my own research. I was tweeting it out. But this is my own charts, my own research that I took from the World Health Organization data. And I just was trying to smooth it over and try to get a good look. So if you can show the chart, Spencer, that I put together there, what I was trying to do was show my case that the S&P rally, everybody keeps saying it's the Fed. The Fed bailed us out. The Fed rallied the markets. And I've been trying to say that's false. And the reason I was saying it's false, because in March, in multiple times in March, that the Fed fired off bullets. I mean, we had the, the, the drastic, you know, in between 50 basis point cut, you know, in early March. The market rallied on that for 20 minutes and then went red. 
So the Fed had three to four acts during early March, with the market completely shrugged off and ignored. And that's because you had this exponential growth in virus cases. And we didn't know where it was going. And it looked like COVID was going to kill all these businesses. Obviously, that didn't materialize. You know, we got a handle on it. But the reason we turned around wasn't Fed action. We turned around on that Sunday night when New York suddenly they because we had como was saying you know we're, we're shooting for you know trying to flatten this curve by the end of april that's what they were talking about it started to flatten on the first weekend in april and that's when the markets really started to turn and i even tweeted it that day i was like we could have a flattening the curve rally here well that flattening the curve rally didn't just last for a couple days it lasted for two months so let me explain the chart you're looking at so obviously on the bottom you're looking at the spot and you can see the inverse correlation which is very very clear but what you're looking at, at here is the weekly increases in u.s COVID cases so i'm not just taking the absolute number which continued to climb you know and, and lots of people arguing ourselves included that the market's been completely ignoring COVID because the cases are still going up but the market wasn't looking at COVID cases in the absolute numbers. They were looking at, are we getting it under control? And when you look at this chart, they got it completely under control because the weekly increases topped out right around that last weekend of March, right when the market bottomed, and then started to come in because we started to flatten the curve. Social distancing started to work, and the weekly increases started to drop substantially. So they were still going up on an absolute basis, but they were going we weren't getting as many cases every week. So, and if I go grab the numbers, and I brought, I guess I should have brought this up so you can see the actual numbers behind it, but I'll just go grab it. It's in my, uh, just hang on. It's, I'm just grabbing it right now. It's in my sure. computer. I wasn't ready. Um, is it, this is weekly new cases. I can just talk, I can talk about daily new cases. Cause so the record for daily. Yeah, talk to daily for a second. I'll bring up the numbers. The record for, record for daily new cases was just over 39,000. That was April 24th. That was the highest. Okay. That was the record until last week. We have now topped that 39,000 threshold four days in a row. And we came close on the, on the fifth day too. So uh, the new record, we topped 40,000. That was the headline this weekend. We topped 40,000 new cases uh, for three straight days now. I'm sorry, four straight days. Uh, so that's why this is getting worse. That, that is, that, that is the, the trend in a nutshell is we have topped 40,000 cases four days in a row. We had not topped that prior to last week. So the numbers behind this, and I'm looking at the weekly increases. So March the 2nd, we started with 124 weekly. That's when we know when the party was getting started. The next week was 1,350 increases from the previous week. So I'm not looking at the, how many cases went up. I'm looking at the increase from the previous week. Then it went up, you know, 12,000 more than the previous week. Then March 23rd was 74,000 cases more than the previous week, which was like a 600% growth. So just enormous. And that's when everybody was spooked and selling everything because we're like, where is this going? If it's growing 600% a week, where is it going? Well, the very next week, we only grew by 82,000 cases. So that, that, you know, that actually the exponential growth stopped on March 23rd. And that's right when the market bottomed that's when the exponential growth was slowed significantly. So it started to slow down. We're getting, a, oh, hey, this isn't going to take over the world. The social distancing obviously was the big impact there that stopped the cases from growing exponentially. If we would just let it go, would have kept going, exponential math. And then it started to go down. So if you bring that chart back up for two months, we charted in the negatives where the weekly case growth was going down almost every single week. You can see in that chart, it's just showing all those negatives there until the first week of June when we got our first day of when we started to spike back up again. And we know that's the South when the South started to go up. 
And then we had a little blip down in June 8th, um, you know, where it looked like, oh, we're going to get back in control again and it's starting to come back in. And then the last two weeks, we've just, you know, took right off. And that coincides nicely with the S&P sell-off. So you can clearly see the inverse correlation here between the weekly increase in U.S. COVID cases and the SPY. So really, the S&P has just been tracking this um, to, to inversely and trading off of it. So if you're watching where it's going, and we've been talking about you know, this being the concern, we were talking about this two, three weeks ago, um, when everybody was just buying stocks and buying American Airlines and everything, it was starting to become a problem in the South. And I mean, it's logic, right? You can think of it logically, and this makes sense. But it's showing you that the Fed didn't have as much impact in the recent rally that everybody thinks it did. You know, yes, you know, it helps, you know, when you get free money out there, yes, it helps. But the market has been concerned about the virus the whole time. The virus has still been number one. And even though it was quiet, um, you know, and we were talking about riots and we talked about everything, um, really the market was rallying in, in April and May because we had the virus in check. We had it in control. And then obviously down when we got to June, we know that the South started to have exponential growth and we've lost, you know, the virus to a certain extent in some states. And that's why the market is concerned again. So I'm just telling you that the market cares very much about the virus. This is the proof. Godspeed to Connecticut and Rhode Island, the only two states in the country where cases are still declining. And, and there you go. But there's smaller states too. So, and you know, states are all done it differently. But if you look, Michigan's starting to have a few problems again too. It's starting to drift up again. As we reopen, it's inevitable that you're going to get more cases. I mean, there's no stopping it. So I'm not advocating to go and shut everything down here again. Um, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not, you know, going to tell you what you can and can't do. You know, I think you should wear masks. It's my own personal opinion. But my job is as a trader is to identify what is market catalyst, what is moving. And what I'm telling you here right now is when you look, you know, at the overall trends here, the virus matters very, very much to the market, not so much anything else. Everything else is just noise, including the Fed right now. Because if we continue to lose the virus, if we continue to see exponential growth, if we continue to see Texas closing restaurants and bars, I mean, that's going the opposite way from what the economy wants. That's going to create major problems here. So, you know, Apple had to close some stores again. So we know as the virus cases increases, you're going to have to see some certain businesses shutting down and trying to figure it out. So I'm just saying all that matters. It's been this argument the whole time. You can't fight the Fed. You can't fight, you know, it's going to go up no matter what the markets. And maybe that's true in the long run. Maybe it's true. But right now, as traders, there's been money made on the short side. And you can argue it all you want. But if you're buying American Airlines saying you can't fight the Fed on June the 6th, well, you just lost half your money because it's 12 bucks and it was $23. So I think you got to be gotta, careful you with gotta, what you're doing. You got to throw, I mean, and this is the flip side here. And this is what, you know, um, what a lot of people are banking on. It's like, yeah, there's more, there's more testing. There's more cases being reported. Um, but you're not at the point where, you know, to me, like one scary thing was hearing about the hospital capacity. Like if you're sick and you can't go to the hospital, Bye. when has that ever happened in your life? Right. Never. So we were at that point. So right now people are saying, yeah, cases are up, whatever, but not as many people are dying. It's just because we're doing more testing. And that's, the, you know, that is what is anything is giving supporting some support underneath this market is that people are just looking past sure. this and saying it so you gotta when you talk about the negative you gotta talk about you know what potential pop you know positives 
people are seeing in it. And it depends, like, you know, Houston and a lot of it's some places like Texas. Texas is like, we got to open up. We're going to do what we want to do. And then, you know, and then you see what happens. So it's a story that unfortunately, and what we've been saying on the show for a long time, we could come up with our short-term ideas. This is going to be with us. Yes. It's going to be with us for three months. It's going to be with us six months. Pandemics do not come and go in a quarter or a half It's a not year going away in the summer. It's, it's not obviously going, improved. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not going how, away how with the weather. Oh, yeah, the, the warmer weather is The warmer weather has obviously not helped here at all. I mean, you do have the case where maybe Florida, Texas, people are going inside for air conditioning now. Scott Gottlieb made that point. So maybe that's why the southern states are getting hit a little bit harder right now. Because, you know, obviously when March is nice outside, it's 70 degrees in Florida. Maybe people are outside hanging out, doing their thing. And we know a lot of the, obviously the spread is happening indoors. So you might have that potential where people are going inside now for AC and that could be driving the spread maybe in these Southern states. But it, it just look at all I'm saying is you've got to be cognizant if you're trading about the virus numbers, you can't just ignore it and say it doesn't matter because it does everything. This matters more than the Fed. It matters more than anything, at least in the short run here. And that's showing you, I took out the noise in that chart. I know I went week to week instead of day to day because you could say, oh, we're up here this morning, but cases are up. You're, you're lying, Dennis. You're wrong. Well, it's all noise. I mean, you're never going to, nothing's smooth and just goes perfectly. But when you go to the week to week data, that chart that I drew up pretty much shows pretty clearly that the market cares about the virus. So, you know, where we were saying the market is, is irrational in maybe April and May because it's ignoring the virus. Sure it was, but the virus was in check. And now the virus is no longer in check and the market is spooked here again to a certain extent. So the virus does matter. Obviously, we don't know how this plays out. I think in the long run, we're all going to be okay. I think, you know, the majority of people are going to survive. I don't think it's the end of the world, the zombie apocalypse. But what I'm saying as a trader, I'm going to be aware of the virus numbers. And if you were watching the virus numbers in the South two weeks ago, you'd be lightening up your portfolio like I lightened it up a week and a half ago. You'd be lightening it up and you wouldn't be getting dinged here on Friday and you wouldn't be getting dinged on some of these other days. And maybe it's just another buy the dip opportunity, but I'm not jumping in until I start to see uh, the virus get back in check because right now we're flying high and people are arguing, oh, but the deaths are low. I had four people tweet at me. Well, the deaths, you know, this is useless information because the deaths are low. There was a paper that's put out last week says 24 days the lag. 24 days is the lag from the day you're infected till the day you potentially die. So when you start seeing cases uptick two weeks ago, we're not at a point where these people are, are killing off. Now, there's not, we're not going to be as bad as we were. And there's good points being made. You said you got to talk about the good too. We're, we know more about the virus. We're learning more how to deal with the symptoms. We have a, a couple therapies. Maybe it's remdesivir. You know, we have some therapies that seem to help. So I hope and I think the case is that the deaths aren't going to take off like they did back in March. But again, you know, the market is spooked. And as traders, you need to identify what the potential catalysts and what the market drivers are. I talked about this this weekend in obviously the Benzinga Pro. The first thing I do every morning is talk about the driver. What is driving the bus right now is the COVID numbers. I'm sorry to say it's the truth. That is what's driving the bus. It wasn't driving the bus in April and May because we had it in check. Riots, hope trade reopening was driving the bus. Now again, the market is concerned about the virus. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in that chart. The proof is in the spy. It's down 7% in the last two weeks. It's not down 7% because the reopening is going well. It's down 7% because the reopening isn't going that well. So you got to watch this as traders. It's important to watch, you know, catalysts. what the catalysts are. Correct. And 
Boeing has a catalyst today, trading up 870, 880, whatever you want to call it. And somebody says, I just want to, somebody says, Dennis wants the market down. I'm talking the market down. I don't want the market down. I'm 70% invested. They must be new I'm to still, the or, show. Or, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still 35% invested in stocks. You know, yes, I have a lot of cash, but I don't want the market down. I don't want the market. I do think I like sitting here and not going to restaurants and not, I, I, I want to go boating this weekend. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, all the, a couple friends are going to the beach. I'm like, well, I can't go to the beach. I'm not going to do it because I don't feel safe to go and hang out with a bunch of friends and, and, and get outside my bubble. I can, you know, I've got my little bubble of people. You think I like this? I don't like this. I don't like sitting at home. I don't want the market to go down. I don't want the market to just implode. I don't want to be stuck in my home anymore. So that's absurd. I'm just telling you what the reality is. My job as a trader is to be able to identify the short-term trends and be able to profit from that. This is how I pay my bills. This is how I feed my family. I have no other job. I don't have a day job. Day trading is my job. So this is what I have to do. So I'm looking at data. I took a couple hours to put that together, you know, figuring that out. And I'm like, it's showing that the market still cares about the virus because people say to me all the time, all that matters is the Fed, that they don't care about the virus. It's not true. It's in that chart. It's not true. Uh, Nick Maluji said he loves us even when we're wrong. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate that. Uh, and real quick, Dennis, uh, you, you hinted at it uh, briefly, but Gilead uh, did price from Desivere. Uh, it is going to be $390 per vial, which according to the company is well below market. Well, let's talk Gilead here for a minute. Um, the stock's getting a nice pop here, Joel. It's a play that I was in multiple times. It cooled off. It's put in a nice bottom in the middle of seventies. So um, trading range. Yeah, it's in a trading range. I mean, now you're getting a pop. It's always not paid to buy the Gilead pops. It's paid to fade them, but it's in a trading range. It's, it's, it's still it's here. still kind of in the middle of the trading range. And actually, what's good about this chart is that it's been in a trading range, and the trading range is contracting. So you're going to get a better move out of this one way or another. Just rock solid support. They won't let. I mean under 72 or just above 72 is it 72 and a half yeah i remember looking at this a couple of weeks ago 72.38 was a low and then how far you know 72.75 so seven under 73 but that's not going to do any good today because it's up 205 did get a couple spikes to 77 77 and a half is your pre-market high so what this has done on previous occasions on this kind of news, it's gotten a pop. And I'd say three out of five times, maybe four out of five times, it's seen the high in the pre-market and then kind of faded. So I really like that 77 and a half on number. If you're looking for a potential target, I see 78 is a high on June 19th. And then let's go to Boeing here real fast yeah. uh, before we uh, go to a guess. But Boeing, their catalyst is, uh, what do you think? 737 max we have a headline here that they got faa approval to start test flights today good news for boeing obviously the max has been a major issue the bad news is the demand for the max was obviously non-existent before this because of all the issues with it but think about where the airline industry is and think about where it's going it's going to have a long Hard battle to get out of this um you know obviously covid was the thing that knocked them down and they got a lot of problems so is people just going out and are the are the, are the airline just coming and buying planes hand over fist i mean even if they get the max issues figured out which they eventually will the demand is inevitably going to be significantly lower than it would have been if the airlines were flying on all cylinders 
So Boeing up 5% on a nice pop. I still think Boeing is a reopening stock. And until the virus gets under control, I don't think I want to own it. And uh, I mean, eventual consolidation in the airlines industry. I know that they, you know, we still have several airlines. I think so too, Joel. I don't think we're going to go to GA, you know, government air, but, uh, you know, there, there's definitely going to be some. But consolidation isn't good for Boeing. You know, if you start losing, nope. you know, if, you're, if you planes. have to put American Airlines with Delta or something, you know, to, to start having these things survive, there's going to be less flights. There's going to be less planes needed. I mean, it, there's going to be less flights all around just for the things like there's some permanent changes here in business thinking. This think is travel. Yeah, yeah. Business travel is, is huge. Business travel is the biggest source of income for the airlines. And people say, oh, well, the business travel isn't going to go away. Yeah, it's not going to go away. The business travel is still going to be there. But does it mean it can't go down a bit as businesses realize that, hey, you know, we, we used to have, you know, even to go in the CFA Institute, we used to, you know, when I was involved very much with the CFA Institute and the Capital Markets Policy Council, we had the in-person meetings where we flew around, you know, with people from all over the world and they flew me to Japan, they flew me to Europe and they flew me all over there. These meetings, you know, these are hundreds of thousands of dollars in cost and sometimes millions of dollars in cost, depending on how many people are going to the different meetings uh, to fly the people in for these in-person meetings. And then they realize, hey, I can go on Zoom and this is just as effective. And it's not costing us any of these travel dollars. There's no hotel bill. There's no travel bills. There's not anything. Some businesses are realizing that. There's always going to be need for in-person meetings, but there's going to be need for less of them. And that's not good for the airline industry either. There's a lot of reasons not to own airlines. Airlines, hotel. I mean, even, you know, we're, we're a smaller company, but just, you know, the, the revenue from events, you know, when we were in New York, flying, hotels, food, costs, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a major change. And, I and, and to- this event that Benzinga put on on the weekend was excellent. I mean, we're over and we're doing it over Zoom, but it's pretty good. I mean, and obviously it's a lot cheaper to run the events this way. I mean, there's still expenses. There's still some stuff that has to go in there, but it knocked those hotel bills and those flight bills off. I mean, either, either way, it's not good for the airlines. Let's bring on our guest here and let's find out how, how, uh, what his plans are for air travel. Steve Sears is a uh, Barron's columnist. He's also the author of The Indomitable Investor, Why If You Succeed in the Stock Market When Everyone Else Fails. Make sure I have him on mute here. Steve, uh, good morning. Let me make sure we can hear you. We can. Hey. Good morning, Steve. How are you guys? We're hanging in there. Uh, what are your plans for air travel in the future? Have you thought about that at all? Private jets only built here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you write, I gotta jets. start writing for Barons. Yeah. Look, I mean, private jets. That's a good I, I idea. Think, think no, airline... no COVID concerns on private jets. Look, I mean, the, uh, all the you know the airline, the airline stuff is a hot topic, but let's face it, no one's rushing to go back to work anytime soon. And in fact, I spoke to somebody at a, you know, at, at a major bank, and they don't even have plans yet to take to get their guys back. So you think that somebody's going to jump in an airplane and the company's going to say, just go ahead and do things like, like before and then get sued by somebody if they get sick? I don't think it's going to happen. So what does this mean for the airline industry? I mean, we see a nice pop in Boeing about the max here. We had the significant rally, the retail rally at the beginning of June where American Airlines doubled in three days. And obviously that has flight, that, that, that trade has crashed and burned here. What are, you, what are your thoughts here going forward on the airlines? I mean, they've come back down a lot from those lows. Is there a potential trade here, or is this just now speculative capital? And I, I, think, I think it's always been speculative capital. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Look, if you, if you want to put brass tacks on it, everything's trading off of COVID-19 headlines until it's not. 
and, yeah. and, and then it, it tracks it and then it doesn't track it. The, the Boeing 737 MAX stuff, if you were to back up, you know, all the COVID crap, what you would see is that it's basically doing the same thing it's always done. You get a little bit of news about the about that plane's going to be back in production. It's not going to be back in production. It trades up, it trades down. That's, I mean, that, that's my view. I heard that, uh, I read something earlier today that the airlines are backing away from, uh, from, from packing up the planes like sardines and that air, that air travel is only up 7% sequentially week over week. I mean, what does that mean? Like, cause I remember Delta saying they need to fly at 65% capacity to break even. I mean, if you do start doing social distancing on the planes, it sounds pretty troublesome to try to get to that 65% capacity. So they're still burning a lot of money. Look, I, I, I hope that they figure out a way to do this because uh, my brother and I are scheduled to be in, Z- in Zimbabwe next summer and I really want to go. But I don't, you know, and I've known a, a number of, of good friends have traveled back, you know, been traveling on airplanes recently, but they mask up and then they quarantine so they don't get people sick. I don't know what it means. I, I, think, I think we have to evolve and we're going to have to come up with some type of a, some type of a, a way of, of a super purelling everything so people don't freak out. So what industries airlines sounds like a no touch to you? What are you looking at, Steve, that you think like might be a touch right now, like a good, you know, not necessarily COVID stocks, but what are you looking at? I mean, yeah, I think some of the big tech is looking very interesting now, especially as it breaks down. I wrote about that last week. You know, the, the crazy thing is I think the institutions in many ways were caught flat footed. And I thought they were beginning to, to jawbone the market a little bit to create liquidity so they could get out. If you look at anything on a given day, um, the price moves don't seem to really match the liquidity. Things are trading beneath their normal, uh, you know, their average uh, volume. So you, you look at big tech as people begin to exit out of it. And they were because big tech has been where people have been hiding. Why? Because it's got, there's transparency and there's, and there's better liquidity in it. And I think they were rolling out of that into other things, maybe like the airlines and, now, who knows what, the, what, they're, what they're doing, but as you look at like Facebook breaking down, Apple broke down last, you know, last week, what are you going to do? I think those are pretty decent, uh, decent spots to hang out. If you want to play the virus trade, that's super hot too, but that's very speculative, even though people are expecting a first quarter uh, breakthrough. What about those social media stocks? We really saw Facebook getting hit here yesterday or Friday and this morning. Obviously, advertisers pulling ads. Twitter, though, Snap, Pinterest, all getting hit as well. Even Google getting slammed too. Um, online, is this just a short-term trend and eventually the money's going to flow back into here or is there bigger problems? I've never seen a stock behave to outside non-financial pressures like Facebook. Have you guys ever seen that? That's what I was. I said last week that I I don't know if I said this on our show, but I thought that this this advertising boycott in terms of the stock would be a nothing burger because you almost never see the stocks react to things like this. I mean, we're 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 talking about a potential impact on the stock of like less than five percent of revenue. Facebook remains the key way advertisers reach small and medium businesses. It remains the key way they do mobile direct response advertising. Like click here and buy that. Um. But I've never seen anything like it. I, I think we could be at uh, at a turning point in how we discuss things and in, in the country. And I, I don't know where that goes. I mean, obviously that's that's a good thing. Things that have been dare I say that 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 white America has known about, but sort of looked looked past. Now something seems to seems to have changed. 
largely because of that. I don't know. What, I don't know what the young generation is now. The kids in college, but they sort of seem to have a different way of doing things. And I don't yeah. know how that plays out. Gen Z and these companies have have uh, just jumped on the bandwagon here. What about Apple here, Steve? Uh, you wrote about Apple. Uh, I think over the weekend. Uh, I did. I mean, it's not going anyplace. It's ubiquitous. And any sort of weakness in that, I think, is, is, is attractive. It's a very hard name to trade, um, you know, by selling calls against or, 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 or trading options to try to capture the moves. Whenever we talk about selling puts, that's basically what I call time arbitrage. Let's take advantage of uh, short-term dislocations for long-term gain. Do you just base that on market sentiment, price action? I mean, because we all know, you know, selling puts in a stock, I mean, cash-secured puts, I know you always, you know, recommend that. Is it just, yeah, yeah is it just like a timing, like going into earnings where you kind of have, you know, pre-earnings run-ups? What, what, what do you base your the options? And also, I just wanted to get your take here on just like the overall volatility. And I mean, we look at the actual market and the S&Ps for our VIX, but like you to get your comments on that as well. So what I look for, you know, I do love the cash secure put strategy. It's been the right strategy now for, for, for many years. What I look at is I I look at fear. I look at sentiment. Do I think sentiment is more extreme than is merited? Do I think the news flow um, benefits the position? And, and then I go ahead and I try to pick an expiration cycle that captures all of these things. And then I try to maximize that, uh, th- those events that could tilt things in my favor. That could be if I think estimates are on, the, are on the low side into earnings. It could be if I think sentiment is too negative. It could be that I think the stock moved down or up the other day simply because a big institution adjusted. That's the type of stuff that, that I look for. And then you're five to 10% out of the money. You're within the first two months based on ball. I always, for ball, what I look at to try to, 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 try to gauge if I think options are a good buy or a good sell in general, I always start with VIX. VIX is just the general proxy. It's flawed in many different ways. So then I look at SPX, I go 5, 10, 15, 20, et cetera. Um, I always try to stay within the first couple of months of expirations because who wants to pay time premium? You want to let time work for you, not against you, and try to, and try to harness data or decay. And, and that's about it. And then I'm a huge student of the spread between realized and implied. And then I divide everything by 16 to try to figure out, do you guys know the rule of 16? No. Explain it, explain it yep. to us, please. So despite how mathematically complicated options can be, the, the simple truth is everybody just divides implied volatility by 16. 16 is the square root of the number of trading days in a year. So when you divide, so if, if something has a vol of 16, it just simply means it is the underlying stock is expected to move 1% each day through expiration. If it's a one-month contract, it's over the next 30 days, two months, et cetera. And, and that's basically how I sum it up. And oftentimes what you find, because of the way options are priced, it's, it's, they're done by computers. It's very, very programmatic. The programs sometimes fall out of whack with the reality for the news flows. And that's, that's where things get interesting. We've got a couple of events. Very unusual week coming up. We have uh, end of the quarter uh, tomorrow. Uh, we have a shortened week because of the 4th of July, and we have the unemployment data uh, coming out on Thursday here. So for these kind of shortened weeks, do you, do you, you know, 
with more volatility, do you make any special adjustments to your analysis? I might become more cautious to tell you the truth. Anytime there's a shortened week, you have to, like one of the oldest trading tricks in the book is if you're a dealer is you jack up your vol or you move your vol around to try to offset risk in your book. End of the quarter stuff, people make a lot of uh, a lot to do about that. I think that only really applies to big traders. You know, you don't, you have to ask yourself, am I going to get paid for weekend risk? Most of the time during the COVID crisis, you haven't been getting paid for weekend risk. If you're trading, now if you're an investor and you do that time arbitrage stuff I was talking about, probably doesn't matter as much to you. But um, it, look, who knows what happens on Sundays when China makes their news announcements? Who knows what happens in, in bars in Florida, Texas, California? I'm much more cautious and less likely to, uh, to, to engage in, in shortened weekends, shortened weeks like this in general. I just want to uh, touch on one more sector here. You had uh, the stress tests and oh boy, they were good. And you just had a lot of the bank stocks ripping in the after hours. They ended up giving it back and, and then some, I know you had some more news over the weekend. These stocks have been slow to recover. They're, they're, nowhere near back to February, March levels starting to pull back right now. I mean, you get some decent dividends in stocks to start, give us your overall thoughts with the banking sector, especially based on the fact that interest rates, they're not going up soon or who knows right. if they're ever going up again. So just your thoughts on the banking sector. So I was bullish on banks going into the stress test. I thought that they'd be allowed to increase their dividends and do their buybacks, not unilaterally across the board, but, JP Morgan, Bank of America, others like that. And I was wrong. I didn't anticipate that the Fed would come out and rule the way that they did. The backstory, after, after my a piece came out, hedge fund manager calls me up and says, listen, you know, I, I, I saw your note, but you're focused on the wrong thing. You need to be focused on their collateralized debt and CLO obligations, which are epic. And so my, my view is that the stress test results are probably in recognition of those exposures, which are said to be quite high at all of the banks. And if that's, if that's true, a lot of the stuff is off balance sheet and hidden, then you, have a, then you have quite the risk. That said, here's the fundamental view away from that special issue. You take a look at tech represents roughly 27% of the weighting of the S&P 500. That's kind of a, the highest since, the, since the, the internet bubble bursting. Financials are down about 10 to, to about 10, 10% of that, I think. And so what you're starting to see now at the institutional level is let's rotate out of that, which was hot. That was probably some of the weakness last week in tech into that, which has been weak. Now, is there a risk to that? Absolutely. But if you're an institutional investor or you, you like the uh, worship of the altar of mean reversion, and that's going to give the, that should give the financials a bid, even though rates are low. Steve Sears is a Barron's columnist. He's also the author of The Indomitable Investor, Why a Few Succeed in the Stock Market When Everyone Else Fails. He's also the uncle of the VIX, as he says on Twitter. Steve, thank you so much for the time today. And, uh, Thanks, guys. All right. Right uh, 8.48 here. Got about 12 minutes left in our show. Let's look at Nikola here. They have a potential catalyst here. They, today is the day that you can pre-order their truck that they don't have uh, really any type of prototype for, but you can order it today nonetheless. So today's uh, the first day of that. 
uh, maybe a potential catalyst for a stock as as hot as this one has the, been. This 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 was hot. This cooled off significantly on Friday. They were hammering the stock, and this is a bounce back, snap back rally on a headline. It's usually a selling opportunity, um, textbook selling opportunity. To be honest, just this the the headline comes after a, a, a turn in sentiment. Um, the turn in sentiment happened Friday towards the stock. I think you sell this rally. What I want to know is if the the CEO is going to be on TV and he's going to smash the. When is he uh, coming on TV? No, I don't know. I'm oh, that's to, the, well, if he, he smashes. If he smashes the uh, what 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 did I must oh, do? Oh, Tesla with the window. Yeah, if he smashes the window, I'll buy the stock. If he doesn't smash the window, <laughs> then I have a scoop, guys. Uh, we are trying, and it looks like we're going to get the CEO of Nikola on our show. Wow, oh, nice. I don't know when. Uh, but I have a call with them today, actually, uh, to try to organize that. So oh, cool. That, that could happen not this week, but probably next week. I'm um, sorry to say to the CEO ahead of time here, though, is the, the stock, the company, you know, and, and obviously has been very hot. The stock's been very hot. But, you know, just from a technical basis here, that was an ugly candle on Friday. And that makes me want to sell the rally. So not saying anything bad. The company, you know, sounds like it's going to be firing eventually on all cylinders here. But. Um, the, you know, the stock just maybe got ahead of itself. Um, it, and I think, I think you had a topping pattern the last few days in the mid seventies. Kramer said it on mad money too. I think it was a big catalyst for why the stock had an ugly Friday. Cause on Thursday night, Kramer said about Nikola and he also said about DraftKings. Um, I think it was Thursday. I think it was Thursday night. And he said that, you know, he'd be lightening up on these right now because, um, they've just had big moves. So DraftKings had an ugly couple of days and Kramer probably is catalyst for a lot of that. And obviously this rotation overall, we know some of these Momo names really the trade came off on Friday. So it's a sector thing to a certain extent too, but snapback rally after an ugly day is usually a textbook sell. Uh, you did get a pop. You were higher. You were a couple bucks higher, right? You went right to 70 even. So there's a nice round number for you. I see the daily highs. It's like a lid there. I see the three-day high at 75, seven, or four-day high, 75, 71, and 76. So sellers have been coming down. It's been in a range, and the bottom of that range has been, let's call it 62 bucks. So let it bounce around between 62 and 70 here. But big red candle, consolidation after a big move up. It's got to prove that it wants to hold the support there. It's still trading up 445, though. At 68 even, just S&Ps, we almost got to a good daily number at 30.27, turned back at 30.26.50. A little bit of a peel back here. So we are holding on to the majority of those gains into the open. Uh, important to that pre-market high, the fact that we sold off over $10, becoming more of a factor here eight minutes or 38 minutes before the market opens. Imbalance is very mixed here today. And you can see it in the stocks themselves as well. Certain stocks are actually trading in the red. We've talked about the NASDAQ all morning. It's barely hanging green. So tech has been weak all morning. Obviously, Facebook and you know, it's all probably the catalyst for that. But I'm just looking at individual imbalances, even in sectors. I mean, I see Disney. 55,000 to sell. Stock is trading in the red here. It's typically a reopening play that will move along with the airlines and Boeing. That's not the case here this morning. Um, and, you know, even in individual sectors, I'm seeing some stocks strong, some stocks weak. It's a very mixed market. Visa, MasterCard, both showing sell imbalances right now. Visa trading in the red because of that. Some of the oil stocks showing sell imbalances despite oil trading higher here this morning. So, 
you've got some jockeying after that wrestle and after, you know, maybe the Friday, you know, sell-off that we saw where there's some institutions making some calls here, but it's mixed. So Pfizer, 203,000 to buy. That's on the upside here this morning. AT&T, 176,000 to buy. That's a little bit higher here this morning as well. Uh, and what I'm quoting is the New York Stock Exchange uh, imbalances that'll show you, you know, how strong or weak a stock is based on opening orders uh, relative to the close. So as of right now, a lot of stocks are going to open very mixed. So just because we're up 15 handles, I'm not seeing strength across the board at all. And that is somewhat concerning for this overall market. Uh, someone was asking about Pfizer last week. It had a real unusual bad day. Well, I mean, it's had some bad days as of well, late. that missed yeah. drug, that drug yep. that really slammed yep. it. And then, uh, you know, you knocked out the institutional bids at 32 uh, on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. You found support under that level. Now you're trading up. Now, to me, if this comes back, you know, this is a slower moving stock. Now, if it comes back to 32, if I could get this stock at 3204, 3205, near that close, I have a, you know, clear exit point right 3161 3183 you know even give yourself some more room i bet you the dividend yields getting a little bit more juicy after 4.71 it is yeah yeah that gets near five Uh, i own a little bit of pfizer i actually had a a bunch and i sold some of it just thought it got overdone i can't remember i sold it but it was maybe even before the covid thing started I feel like it was like into the run in the end of 2019 when it had the significant sell-off and pharma kind of came out of favor back in the summer of 2019. And then we rallied everything in the year end. And then we sold off. I'd like to get the rest of my Pfizer back. In the low 30s, I'd be a buyer of Pfizer. And they have the wild card, you know, that they're working on, you know, some they're working COVID on stuff too, too, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the companies are. I, I like Pfizer in the lower 30s. So I don't know if you're going to get down $30. If you're buying a 3204 and putting in your long-term portfolio, I won't argue with you. I've got it in my long-term portfolio, so I don't mind Pfizer here. It is out of favor right now, though, so just be aware this is a longer-term investing because the trend is absolutely not your friend. But in the lower 30s, you got dividend protection. I don't think the Pfizer dividend's going anywhere. I think the company's still fine. Aging population is still there. I, I, I like Pfizer in the lower 30s. And uh, we're just just as we whooshed up just before the start of the show here, we're losing momentum here. Uh, we're still up five and a quarter. People are like up or down, up or down on the day. I don't know. I think there's a pretty good chance we get back some of these gains. And if you, look, I think we're going around. Yeah. And if you actually look at it, let's like let's throw out COVID. Let's throw out all the other factors. Let's throw out the end of the quarter. Let's throw out uh, the jobs number on Friday. Q1, Q2 earnings season. Earth. Thursday. We cl- Thursday. Um, we made a new low on Friday, a, a low for the week. And we did pierce that level. We did get back above it. But a lot of times you see a you know, follow through from that Friday move. And, of course, on the way up, we close on the high for the week, just off that boom, Sunday night, buyers, buy, 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 and they take us up. But I've noticed, you know, the last couple weeks, you know, we've had that Friday low, and then once you pierce that Friday low, so that that Friday's low was a uh, ninety-two and a half. We did get to eighty-two and a quarter in the pre-market. Things really open up on the downside after that. So be be careful, folks. Under under that pre-market low, twenty-nine eighty-two and a quarter. 
Uh, one more stock on my list that's not moving this morning, but it could move today. I'm watching is Under Armour UAA. This is a Main Street headline here. We have talked about how influential retail has been on the market, retail traders. Under Armour over the weekend announced they were trying or going to attempt to terminate their record um, 15-year, $280 million deal with UCLA. Uh, and they were getting dragged here. They were getting dragged all through the weekend. And they want to terminate their deal with UCLA? Yes, they want to terminate their deal with UCLA. This is a record. This is a 15-year deal they signed four years ago. They're going to try to terminate it. Uh, need Why? To, they need to save they money. Need money. I mean, they need money. <laughs> so Under Armour is getting dragged here through so all through social media all through the weekend. Today, too, uh, this is a Main Street headline. I would watch Under Armour this morning. It's not really trading yet. But I would watch this because a lot of people, athletes, are chiming in saying, yeah, this is good for UCLA. Under Armour is trash. Their sneakers stink. Their, their uniforms stink. Uh, and it's just, I mean, they need the money. So, I mean, 894 you- low from Friday. You want to see that hold. It's, and I'm looking at the UAA. I mean, you can look yeah. at both as UA and UAA. If you're looking at UA, you got to see this thing hold above eight bucks. It starts going below eight dollars. It's it's could be an, a slippery slope here again. This stock has been uh, really in a downtrend for a long time now. Years. Um, yeah, we got to go back and you know, 2016, the stock was trading at 46 dollars. It's eight bucks. You know, the, the the time for this stock, you know, the, the good times, you know, have passed, and the stock's in a clear downtrend. Retail's struggling everywhere. So many better places for your money. Yeah, I just uh, I like this overall comment too. I mean, they I don't know where we're at in this whole sports world, right? The uh, the baseball is trying to get back. The NBA is. Do we have a date on the baseball yet? <sighs> I heard, have, like, yeah, there is a date. I don't have it. Like, I heard like six, what is it, sixty game season or something? Gonna yeah, play? yep. July twenty third or twenty fourth. I thought. I uh, want to see sports. I hope the I hope the reopening goes well. You know. For sports, too, because I miss not, you know, and obviously, oh, know. you know, you've got NASCAR and you've got some horse racing, not but I like, I like, yeah, it's not, you know, I like my hockey, I like the baseball, I'll watch the football, I'll take even basketball at this point in time, I'm not even a basketball fan, I'll take anything, I'm hungry for sports. Uh, yeah, well, no. uh, uh, my point, my point was, you know, you look at, you know, Nike had that bad day uh, on Friday up near all time highs. I just don't know. You know, I read an article about, you know, Michigan Athletic, uh, you know, department. They're going to show a huge deficit here. I think that's, you know, something that supported, you know, this economy and has been just like a huge driver for stocks like Nike and ESPN. Just as like we don't know the course of the pandemic, how it's going to play out. I mean, I never see a hundred thousand people back in Michigan Stadium again, and I'm certainly not going to be one of them. I think see, I can. Com- you've been saying this for a while, and I completely disagree with this. I think eventually, once we're past, and I like, like, I, I think next year, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think a year out here, people are spooked. These stadiums aren't going to even maybe be allowed to be as packed as they are. But I think when we look past like five years from now, I think I, okay, I right. hope that the world will be back to kind of the way it was. I mean, we got past the Spanish flu. I think we're going to get past COVID. I don't think this is like a game changer for the world forever. I hope it's not. I hope we're not going to be spooked forever and we're in masks and half the population isn't going to go out to restaurants. I like going to sporting events. So, you know, maybe it's just hope talking, but I don't think it's a permanent trend, but you do make a good point that in the short run, next year or two, I mean, a lot of these professional sports teams, I don't know how like, 
how do they s survive? Like, I mean, some of these were, you know, and, and you know, obviously, you know, some uh, you don't talk to Yankees and we're not talking to Toronto Maple Leafs of hockey, but some of these smaller franchises like the Arizona Coyotes, which were struggling to survive in, you know, the NHL before any of this stuff happened. Now they still got their payrolls and yes, you know, maybe the players got to take some, you know, some, some cuts here, but with no stadium, with no, you know, and they don't have the big TV rights deals that some of the major, um, Sport, sporting teams yep. do. That's where the money is. It's no tough. Taxi. Yeah. No, okay. Tough. Let, 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 let me back that up here. I don't think sports is going to, it will re, it will reemerge and it will be important. But I think what, when people look back at this, it's not going to have the same kind of emphasis that, that people have. And it's not going to attract the same kind of money that it did in the past. I, so, I disagree. I think I, I so okay. I know you've been, you have been saying, I just completely disagree. I think you're right in the short run. I think it's a problem, but I think in the long run, I think people are going to come back and want sports. Like I said, I'll watch basketball right now. I'm so desperate for sports, Joel. I don't even like basketball. I'm just not a basketball fan, but NBA playoffs start next week. I'll sit there and watch it because I'm hungry for sports. So you're getting a new fan potentially. You know, because I can't watch hockey right now. If basketball starts next week, I'll watch it. You know, I couldn't bring myself to watch NASCAR. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just not a NASCAR fan. And, you know, obviously there's some hardcore NASCAR fans out there. Nothing against you. I've just never really been a fan of it. But I, I want to see some, you know, Major League Baseball, hockey. I wouldn't want to be a senior in high school right now, like a five-star NBA, you know, potential kid going to college and stuff. I don't – the kind of money that – that you saw in the past, I just from the TV rights and from the stadium rights and everything. I think, I think you've seen a top there, but we'll see, right? You just have to see. Sorry about the random commercial folks. That was my mistake. I just, I, yeah, I, what's going on there, Spencer? Yeah, no, I just hit that button. <laughs> commercials in the middle of yeah, I, I, just, yeah, commercials I just hit that button by mistake and I didn't mean Dennis it. talks too much. We just put a commercial. No, I apologize. I, that was totally my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. Um, my mouse kind of lagged there and then I hit the commercial button. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> Hopefully, the commercial's over by now. Uh, but let's wrap it up here. I want to thank our guest, Steve Sears. Thanks to all of you in our chats. If you're in our YouTube chat, Please hit that like button, and if you want to give us a super chat and donation, that would be awesome. We appreciate that. We got $5 donation today, so thank you very oh, nice. much. Um, we yeah, get paid that, this week. Hit I'm that getting like, paid. Hit that like <laughs> button. Subscribe to our channel. You get notified when we go live. Uh, we've also got the chat on premarket.benzinga.com and on Benzinga Pro. You can also find us there. Catch our podcast on whatever podcast platform you choose, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. I think that's all of them. And please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your Monday. Joel and I will be back at 3.40. In the meantime, stay safe and good luck. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.